Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. All right, we're back in Ephesians. Um, chapter 2 is what we're on. We're finishing up chapter 2. And this is a series that I've been blown away by because what we've been learning is in Christ, we have the choosing of, of the Father, we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and we have the redemption work of Jesus Christ. And we see that all that Christ has done. And this morning, what we're going to see and what we're going to talk about is how Christ brings unity in the body, how he brings us all together. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of the the, the, the most prominent message. We need to hear this message of unity. How does, how do we become united again? Because I, our country, our world is so divided right now. And I, and I, you know, and it's a conspiracy nut in me that says, I think it's almost in, on purpose. Like, don't you? And that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I get, I have a lot of them in this room. So y'all like feed my like people will send me videos, like, look at this. And we have like flat earthers and we have all kinds of stuff. And you feed my, my conspiracy. I'm like, I like it. So I've got to watch it. But I'm like, I almost feel, and I know, and not only this is conspiracy, because I know Satan's goal is to divide, is to conquer. And it blows my mind. But, but we're, in, we're in a country where it's so much foolishness, so much stupidity, that we are dividing over the pigmentation of our skin. I mean, I want you to think about how dumb this is. Like, at what point do we start dividing? Because I'm like, I'm white, but I've got some color. Some of y'all are really white and you're less than me. Some of y'all are a little bit more than me. And so at what point do we start dividing? Right? Like, is there a line? Like, do we get shades? Do we have to like walk around with shades of colors? Like, no, we could still be one. Eh. Like we, we are dividing over these, these dumb things, over race, over male and female. We're dividing. Even the church is dividing over, well, I, I like to baptize in the water. I sprinkle. I, I do this. And we divide. And, and here's the thing. What we're going to see this morning is there is only one division that God made. One division. God divided between Jews and Gentiles. That's, that's all God did. He said, there's Jews. And there's Gentiles. That's the only division God did. And what we're going to see this morning is the only one that God put in place, Jesus actually unites. So what do you think Jesus can do with divisions that we as man put in place? I mean, honestly, that's what I was blown away by, seeing how Christ comes and he brings together 
the very single division that God put in place, he destroys it and he puts it back together in a new humanity. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So what we have seen in Ephesians thus far in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that Jesus brings us together. Jesus saves us. Last two weeks ago, we saw that we were all dead fish, right? You were all like rotting dead fish. And and I learned that you can't eat when you're dead because I was like, and everybody's like, no, you can't do that when you're dead. And you're just, everybody was floating corpses going down the stream, dead in your sins and trespasses. And the Bible says that God raised you back to life, but God in his great mercies gave you life in Jesus Christ. That's what we learned, that he was talking generally everybody. That's how everybody's saved. More specifically, what we're going to learn this morning is how is a Gentile saved? How is a Gentile saved? Not if you're new to church or new to this, then the question is, is what is a Gentile? The Gentile is you and me ish. Like I got Jewish in me. So I'm like a mutt. Um, but all y'all are wicked pagan Gentiles. Um, I'm like a Samaritan. Okay. So I've got half, half breed, but a Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish. So I don't know, we might have some Jewish people in here, um, Jews, we've had some uh, Messianic Jews in here before, and so, but for most of us, we're Gentiles, we are not Jewish, we're not of the tribe of Israel, we don't have a tribe of Israel, we're not of Abraham, we, we're not one of the sons of Abraham, or daughters of Abraham, we are Gentiles, we're wicked, we're pagan, and there was this, there's this animosity between, now this goes deep, y'all, this goes so deep that the Jews would actually say, if you see a pregnant uh, a Gentile, do not help her because you do not want to be responsible for bringing in a pagan, wicked heathen into this world, right? You don't want to even be, you don't want your hands dirty of that because they're, they're nasty. In fact, there's only one purpose for a Gentile. The Jews used to say, there's only one purpose for you. God created you for one purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? You were created to be a log for hell's fire. Honestly, that was, that was God created you. Moses, like, I need some fire. I need some log. I need some fuel. You, okay? The Jews were, that was what the Jews used to say. Now, now, also, it, it got so bad that the Jews wanted to even cross over into Samaria, which were half-breeds, right? They were the ones that were Jewish, that got married and had kids with, with uh, Gentiles. They wouldn't even go into Samaria. Let their, they didn't want their feet to touch the sand of Samaria. Could you imagine that? That, that was the Jews and the Gentiles. We have so much. And in the early church, we see this, this tension because in, in Acts, if you read Acts, when the gospel starts to go out, there are Gentiles who are becoming saved. And Peter and James and John and Paul, they're all Jews. And they're, they're Messianic Jews. They, they believed in Jesus the Messiah. But they were like, wait, can a Gentile be saved? They smelling them, you know, like they, well, maybe they have the Holy Spirit. It's weird. How could it, how could hell's fuel be saved? And there was this, there was this almost in the beginning, you read Acts and you see this tension of like, what do we do with them? You know, do we, do we circumcise? Do we, what do we do? 
And there was this there's great fear of the church becoming two. Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. But thanks be to God, Jesus comes in and what Jesus does is he tears down the walls between Jews and Gentiles and he says there is now one humanity, one new humanity. It is neither Jew nor Greek. It is neither bond nor free. It is neither male nor female. It is all one and one in Christ. And that's what Christ came to do is to unite that which the very thing that God said, this is divided. And that's why it's such an amazing truth this morning, what we're going to read. If you have your Bibles, let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 on, but we're going to stop in 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember you that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. That, sorry, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Now listen, what Paul just said there was, this was you. Okay, we're talking specifically about Gentiles. This, if you are a Gentile in this room and you are, it put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is you. This was you. Okay? Now, hear me. If you are a Gentile in this room and you have not put your faith in Christ, this is you. Okay, This is who you are. This is what the Bible, this is what God says about you. This is who you are. If you're in Christ, this is who you were. And so we have different ideas here. And what Paul says is, remember, you being Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcision by those who are circumcised. Now, what is he talking about Gentiles in the flesh? How else could you be a Gentile but in the flesh? You are the uncircumcised people. Now, what Paul is showing is this is one of those slurs. Like you want to talk about slur? You want to talk about you dog, you wicked, uncircumcised. It's like saying your mama. Like your mama, like you wicked, uncircumcised pagan, heathen, right? Remember when, when, when David was in the field with Goliath of Gath and Goliath is talking all the smack and he's saying, you know, Dagon is the real God. Yahweh is nothing. And, and David looks at Goliath and everybody's afraid. He's, they're cowering. And David's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine talking about my God. That's a, that's a slur. Because what he's saying is, look, we are all, yes, God created us all. God created you, God created me, God created all the Jews, God created all the Gentiles, but the problem was God didn't like you enough to choose you. He chose us. We're the chosen race. We are God's people. We're the Jews. We were circumcised on the seventh day. We are the tribe of Israel. We are God's people under his kingdom. You are nothing, you little pig. Uncircumcised dog. Your mama. That's what he's saying. And so now Paul is saying, okay, now you Gentiles in the flesh. Now what's going on here? What he's showing is that Paul is about to show that Jesus is doing something different. He's not talking about the outer anymore. He's not talking about who you were and your mama's mama and grandmama, granddaddy, who your line, your blood. I don't care if you were pagan or if you were Jew. It's going to be something different. We're going to talk about the heart. We're going to talk about how Jesus unites us by the circumcision, a new circumcision, a new sealing, a new heart. It's not about the circumcision of the flesh or the uncircumcision of the flesh. But Paul is right off the bat clarifying that you Gentiles, you are uncircumcised. 
meaning that you are not of the chosen people of God of Israel. Right off the bat, he's laying that down. You are not of the chosen people. But he says there are certain things that alienate us from God as Gentiles. This is you. You are without Christ. You are without citizenship. You're aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. You are without covenants. You are without hope. And you are without God. That's who you were. That's who you are if you're outside of Christ. And so what he starts off with, he says, you are without Christ. What's he talking about? You are without Christ. Without Christ. The word Christ is Messiah. You are without Mashiach. Okay? You are without, if you are a Gentile, you're without Mashiach. You're without Christ. You're without the Messiah. You see, the Messiah was the Jewish Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah in Hebrew. He was the Messiah promised to Abraham all the way back to the promise of the covenant of Abraham. It went through the Jewish line. Now, here's a question and here's a challenge. I've heard this before. It's not as popular as other challenges of the faith, but it is popular. How can you as a Gentile be saved by Jesus because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and you're not Jewish? Have you ever heard that argument? I've been challenged with that. Like, how can you be saved? Because Jesus isn't your Messiah. He's the Jewish Messiah. And the truth is, Jesus is Yeshua HaMashiach. He came through, promised through the Jewish tribes, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. So yes, he is the Jewish Messiah. But what we're going to see here in a second was that they were, God promised through the nation of Israel that they were going to have a Messiah. But ultimately that Messiah was going to be a blessing, not just for the Israelites. The Israelites were to be a tool to bless the entire world. So Jesus was promised through Israel for the world. That make sense? So then he says, you were without the commonwealth of Israel. You were without citizenship. Okay? You were without citizenship. You had no citizenship. You see, the, the, the people of Israel, they were what's known as under a theocracy, under the kingdom of God. So you as a Gentile, you had no kingdom. You were aliens. You had no land. It was not, you were not under the kingdom of God. Also, I just want to talk about this real quick about Jews and Gentiles, about Jews, uh, Gentiles having the Messiah. Because yes, Jesus was the Jewish the Messiah. But think about this. In the Old Testament, and the argument goes, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And only in the New Testament do we see this new movement of Jesus becoming the Messiah for everybody. No, all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, what we see in the Old Testament, Abraham, right? Abraham was promised. Abraham said, I'm going to, uh, God, you're going to have a seed and you're going to have seeds as many of the stars in the sky. You're going to have descendants, many stars in the sky, many of the sand in the seashore, and you're going to have a seed that will bless the nations. Paul says that seed is the Messiah. So Jesus was coming to bless the entire nations. And throughout the Old Testament, what we see is God's heart for the nation of Israel. God says, when you grow crop, do not cut all the crop down. Leave crop on the outside so that the soldier can come and have food. Take care of the soldier, the one that's not in your camp. But also, you remember a woman by the name of Rahab? The prostitute, the, the pagan, the wicked, you know, woman Rahab? She was a Gentile. And God showed mercy on Rahab. Now, everybody's like, well, that's because Rahab showed mercy on the spies. And so, of course, God saved her. It doesn't show God loves Rahab. Well, yes, maybe Rahab showed mercy on the spies and the spies showed mercy on Rahab. So it's kind of tit for tat. But here's the problem with that argument. 
It could have been left there, but Rahab grows up or has, gets married and has a baby. And her baby was Boaz. Boaz gets married to another pagan, another wicked Gentile, Ruth. They have a son, Obed. Obed gets married and has a baby named Jesse. Jesse gets married and they have a bunch of babies, little boys. The youngest, the runt of the litter is a man by the name of David. Twelve generations after David, the line of David, there are two, Mary and Joseph. They have a little baby boy named Jesus. God loved the Gentiles so much that he let their blood be in the line of the Messiah. Jesus was not just the Jewish Messiah. He was the Messiah to bless the entire world. But in this concept, he is the Messiah to come through the nation of Israel. So as a Gentile without Christ, you do not have Mashiach. You do not have God. You do not have citizenship. And you do not have hope. You don't have hope. The Bible says without Jesus, you have no hope. Now listen. If you are outside of Christ, what do you have hope in? Like, what do you put your hope in? Like, I mean, honestly, like, like work? Yeah, you put your, work, your hope in work and your house and, and your family or y- anything. I mean, and what happens when all that's destroyed? Like, what happens? Like, there really is no rooting or founding hope. I mean, you could try to find some sort of sense of hope, but it doesn't. There's no hope outside of Christ. You know, I- I've worked in the church for um, 20 years. I've done a lot of funerals, seen a lot of death. I've had best friends that have died. I've had close friends that have died. I've had family members that have died. My dad has died. I've seen so many people throughout the church come and go. And of all the funerals that I've done and been to and been a part of and the death that I've seen, there's only one that stands out to me. My dad, yes, but, but there's one that really stands out to me. And it was the first funeral that I ever did as a pastor, it was like six years ago. And all, see, all the other funerals that I did were of people that I knew were Christians or, or, or people that claimed Christianity. I mean, because I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, like, I'm giving you a little hint. I mean, there, there are times where, like, somebody doesn't go to church, doesn't really show any signs of being saved, doesn't really follow Jesus, doesn't really care about Jesus, but, you know, they were saved when they were 12, and then they kind of claim that salvation, and, um, or they said a prayer when they're 12, not saved, but they said a prayer when they're 12, and they kind of claim that. And, and, and so, so even those funerals, though, they're easy because you go to them, and they claimed Christ, and so everybody's like, oh, he's in a greater place. And Paul says in Thessalonians, do not grieve as those without hope. So, you know, there's not this grieving. There's like, oh, we'll see him one day. And I'm thinking, I don't know. Maybe God did a work. But at least there's this hope, like we're going to see him one day. He's, he's gone to a better place. He's at the feet of Jesus. He loved Jesus. He was saved. That whole thing, we hope and we, we hope and we have hope as one that doesn't grieve without hope. And But this funeral that I did, I used to, when we first started this church, I worked at a, at a restaurant as a waiter. And, I, and the guy, one of the guys I worked with, his dad died. And he was an unbeliever, and the whole family was unbelievers. And, and I tried to talk to the guy, the coworker. I talked to him many times. We stayed after work many times and talked about Jesus and, and about this. And, and to this day, we still kind of every once in a while hang out, and he wants to talk about Jesus. And, but he never came to salvation, and his dad didn't come to salvation, and the whole family's really unbelievers. So I'm sitting there as my first time ever as a preacher. I'm like, what do I do? 
Like, what do I say? Like, he was nice. He did good things, right? Like, he had, I like his kids, right? He liked trees. I don't know. What do you say? Like, he was a nice guy. He did nice things. But at that some moment, you just, there's no hope. There's nothing you can say that, that comforts the, the, the broken and the brokenhearted. And you saw, and what I, what I, reason why I remember to this day is I watched grieving like I've never seen grieving before. I've never seen it like that before. I've seen crying. I've seen brokenness. I've seen loss of loved ones. I've seen loss of children. I've seen a loss of, I've seen a lot of grief and crying and tears. But this was like without hope. Like we're never going to see them again. This is it. And the truth is, is if you are in this room as a Gentile, without Christ, there is no hope. We live in a world where we're all constantly trying to find a hope and find it. In some, there's so much hopelessness going on right now. So much hopelessness going on right now. And this is not new. In Ephesus, there was the goddess Diana's temple, Artemis, and they, the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this huge temple to Diana. And they would go to try to worship him and try worship her and try to find some sort of hope and meaning and purpose in life. And, and there's, but there's no hope. And I look around today and all these people of depression, anxiety, fear, Without Christ, hopeless. But the truth is, is I was thinking about it today, actually. It's no wonder why we have no hope. Because our world is so conflicting in ideologies and beliefs. It's You cannot operate in a system, in a worldview that contradicts itself. You can't. It, everyone, Nietzsche, all, you know, all the um, can't. Uh, uh, Hume, all of these ones that try to produce some sort of philosophy apart from God, that I am my God, I create this, they all went insane because they can't live under this. We all grew up in a world that said, you will have no purpose. You are created by time and space, time and chance. Matter is all there is, matter in motion. It's all material. That which is immaterial doesn't exist. Because, see, somebody who grows up in an, an atheistic worldview and matter and motion can't explain non-material things like ethics and morals, especially universal ethics and universal morals and conformity of nature or whatever. But that's what we're taught. And then all of a sudden now there's a shift in the air where we're getting rid of science. We're getting rid of it. And I, I saw this coming. I knew this 10, 15 years ago. I told, I, I told one of my friends, I said, watch this. Nietzsche said, we, we, God is dead and we killed him, right? I said, watch this. We're about to make a shift. And if you're in tune with what's going on in the culture and, and philosophies, you, you could start seeing the shifts happen. But we use science to kill off God. We told everybody that you're no, there's no purpose for your life. You just try to exist you just start us bouncing into each other, protoplasm that evolved into goo, that evolved into philosopher. That's who you are. We use that to get rid of God in our schools, in our science books, get rid of God everywhere. And now that we've gotten rid of God, now we're going back and saying, but no, your existence is more than just your matter because your evolution and your matter produced a male. But you may feel and have a different experience internal in your spirit or in your mind or in your soul that you are different than what your matter says you are. 
You see, all of a sudden, we use science to get rid of God, science that says matter in motion, evolution, and that's who we are. We're hopeless. We have no purpose. But now we're trying to tell people, but there is other things. Uh, And it's like, what are you talking about? You're confusing. It's contradicting. You cannot cannot operate in a system where all we are is nothing but bags of protoplasm, but now there's something deeper inside of you that's different than your bag of protoplasm. And there's hopelessness. There's confusion. There's depression. There's anxiety. Christians are accused so much of being like, you know what? You You guys are so... You're bigots, you're haters, you're so closed off, you know, you don't, you're not open-minded, you know, all these other religions and all these other things, you need to be open-minded to to everybody and all the things, you know, to each his own, you know, we're all trying to get along in this world, that's what divides, guys, listen, Jesus is man's only hope, it's not Sucking on crystals and praying to crystals works for you. And Jesus works for me. It's not Muhammad works for you and Jesus works for me. It's not Brigham Young or Charles Taze Russell's. The only hope, I'm going to continue to say Jesus is the only way. Muhammad's not, Buddha's not, Brigham Young's not, Charles Taze Russell's not. They're not. Sucking on crystals is not. Meditation is none of that. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. And we as Gentiles, if we do not have Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus our Messiah, our Mashiach, if we do not have Christ, we have no hope. We have no hope. And Paul says that's who we were. But then in Christ, he says that we have reconciliation. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he, came, and he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit and Father. Amen. What we just saw was substitutionary atonement. Jesus, by the blood of Christ, by the work of Christ, he died for us. And he says that we who are far off are now brought close. It says, for he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, what he's talking about, he broke down the middle wall of partition. What's he talking about here? See, in the time of Ephesus, in the time of this letter, there was a temple it was the temple of Herod, okay? Now, we know Solomon's temple, that was destroyed. Then they built a new temple, Nehemiah, Ezra, that whole story. They built a new temple, but then when Herod got on the scene, he added to it and made it bigger and better and nicer. Um, and so now we have Herod's temple. And what God did in his temple is he, he ordered that there's going to be levels and layers 
of, of separation or intimacy. So you have the, that tall part right here, the tall part, that is the Holy of Holies, the tall white building. That's the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. That's where God dwells. That's where the priests could only go. And then you have the, the court of the, the Jews where the men can go. They make sacrifices there. Then you have the outer court of the Jews where the women and the children would go. But then you have this wall, this wall of separating the Jews from the Gentiles. Because outside the court of the Gentiles, the Jews, and on this wall, there was a sign that says, you cannot go farther than here lest you die. Welcome to church, right? You shall not pass. Like, right, you cannot go through the wall. This is not, even if you were a, G- a Gentile and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get circumcised. I'm going to do all the days. I'm going to do all the festivals. I'm going to eat the, I'm not going to eat pig anymore. I'm doing nothing. I'm going to be a, basically for all purposes, I'm going to be a Jew. Doesn't matter. You can't go past this wall. And what, what God is saying, what Paul is saying is that when Jesus died, his substitutionary atonement, he brought unity between. He tore down the petition wall. He tore it down. So now there's no longer who can get to God. It's separation by, by gender or race. It's, we are all one in Christ. We all have God in Christ. But then also he says this. He says, having abolished in the flesh... That is the cross, the enmity, even the law, commandments contained in the ordinances of God. So what is he talking about? The ordinances, the law, abolishing this. This is important. This is important. Um, there's an argument, and this is one of those gotcha arguments that probably all of you have, right? All of you have been through this gotcha moment. You Christians, you, you guys are, you guys say, you know, that, you know, adultery is wrong or homosexuality is wrong. And you say, the Bible, the Old Testament, God says in the Old Testament, this is wrong. But you say that, meanwhile, you guys are wearing, why don't you, why do you wear different colors of clothing or different uh, cloth in your clothing? Why do you touch a pigskin? Why do you eat bacon? Why do you do this? You guys are hypocrites, you're hypocrites. You know what I say to them? I say, you are ignorant. You're ignorant. Dumb argument. It's a dumb argument. But yet we have been told that many of us, in fact, it was on a TV show. So they were talking about the law of God. And some guy walks in. It's like, yeah, maybe we should also, you know, not touch a dead body. Maybe we should also, and just going off in all these Old Testament laws and say, you be a bunch of hypocrites. You pick and choose which Bible verses, which laws you want to obey. Guys, that argument is weak. And I'll tell you why. There's three types of laws. One law is eternal, one law is temporary, and one law is fulfilled, and for all purposes, fulfilled in Jesus. Now, they're all fulfilled in Jesus, but one law is fulfilled in that we have the the, the manifestation in Jesus. So here's what I mean. The moral law is eternal. Now, this is found through Scripture, but the moral law is eternal. The moral law is the morality of God, is the nature, the character of God. It's do not murder, do not steal the moral compass of God. This is revelation of God's character and nature, what he hates, what he loves, the moral compass. That's eternal because that's God's eternal, right? God's not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His nature never changed. The moral law is who he is based on what he is or who he is, his nature, his character, or what he loves, what he hates. The civil law is temporary. The civil law is if your neighbor steals your ox, cut off the hand of the man who stole your ox. That's a civil law, right? You go to the judges. Now, why is this temporary? This is temporary because this was under the government of Israel. 
You see, if we were still back in the Old Testament under the government of Israel, we would be under the civil law that God put in place. But we are under the government of America. And so we are under the law. That's why Paul comes along and says, hey, when you, no matter what government you're under, you're under their civil law. And hopefully their civil law is in agreement with the moral law. And if not, then we obey the moral law over the civil law. Okay? So the civil law changes with where you are. If you go to Mexico, you're in a different civil law. If you go to China, you're in a different civil law. If you stay here, you're in America. Okay, that's civil law. Under the nation of the theocracy of Israel, you are under the laws that God puts in Leviticus. Now, then there's the ceremonial laws, or the cleanliness laws, the dietary laws, the day laws. These are all ceremonial laws. This is wash. After you touch a dead body, you can't see anybody for seven days. If you go and, and you have, um, you know what's it called, leprosy, you have to do certain things. If you cleanse before you eat, all of these different things, you can't eat bacon, you can't eat pig, all of these, worshiping on certain, worshiping on Sabbath, certain days, celebrations, ceremonies, all of those are under ceremonial laws. And what we see in the New Testament, Jesus says the Sabbath was created for uh, uh, man, not man for the Sabbath. Paul says that Jesus is the new Sabbath. Hebrews says that we find rest, our Sabbath in Jesus. Jesus becomes our Sabbath rest. Jesus becomes our days of celebration. In fact, Paul says some celebrate Jesus, some celebrate and worship on one day, others on another day. Others worship God every single day after, as if they're all the same. To each their own, check your own heart. And what Paul is saying, what Paul tells, what God tells Peter is, why do you call what's unclean or what's clean unclean? What I call clean, pigs, bacon, eat, and you're calling it still unclean. So what we see in the New Testament is that the moral laws reign. In fact, Jesus reiterates them, Paul reiterates them, uh, John reiterates them, uh, all throughout scriptures we see it reiterated. Civil laws, you're under America. Ceremonial laws are fulfilled and we find them in Jesus. You find rest, not on Saturday or Sunday. You find rest in Jesus. Does that make sense? So you are not hypocrites because you stand on the moral laws of God and you do not follow the ceremonial laws of God. You are a biblical Christian. But what God does is he brings all of this together. You see, the ceremonial laws and all this stuff was to separate the Jews, to preserve the Jews, to make them different, to make them separated from all of the world. And so what we see is Jesus comes in and he tears down all of these walls, the partition walls. He tears them all down and he brings us all one, one new man. We all become one. I heard a story this week, and I'm coming to, coming to an end here, but I heard a story this week. It was... Uh, man by the name of John Reed, and uh, he was uh, in Australia, and in Australia, they have, um, they have the aborig aboriginals, and they have like the whites, um, so they basically locals, so they have the, the black, basically just racial tension, and there really is a lot of racial tension there, or at least there was, and um, this guy, John Reed, was driving this, a bus with the kids and the kids in the bus, and they, there's black kids, the Abor aboriginals on one side and the white kids on the other side, and they were just divided and they were angry, they're yelling, screaming. So he pulls over the bus, and he says, everybody off. And he looks at these kids, the aboriginals, and says, you're, you're green from this point forward. He looks at the white kids, you're green from this point forward. Get back on the bus. So it worked for a time. They were like, oh, we're all green. Okay, let's get along. Until some kids stood up in the back of the bus and said, hey, 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 dark green people over here. 
and light green people over here. And I just, I was reading that and then I started reading, you know, the, the Bible. I was reading what, Paul, what Jesus has done for us. And I'm like, I'm looking at our world and it's like, this is the craziness of our culture, of our world. And even pastors have jumped on board with this and said, there's this separation. Hey, hey, we are all made in the Imago Day, but you know what? Dark Imago Day people over here and light Imago Day people over here, you know, male Imago Day, we, female Imago Day. Praise be to God that we're standing in a building where we don't have men on one side, women on the other side, blacks in the back, whites over here, Hispanics over here, you know, the rich right here, so I know where to pass the, the offering bucket, the poor over here. Thanks be to God that we're united in Christ, that Christ is the only one that's going to unite. It's not going to be picketing and petitioning. It's not going to be protesting. It's not going to be throwing money at a situation. It's not going to be educating. It's going to be leaning in on Jesus Christ. We find it in Jesus. Jesus unites. We say, well, David, but there's so much division even in the church. How can you say Jesus unites? Yeah, religion divides. Religion divides. Yes, religion divides. We're going to divide all day. I mean, the pride in the churches today. We all want to be right. No, we baptize babies. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Oh, we, 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 we sprinkle. No, we don't. We, bat, we don't. Oh, we're elected. No, we choose. No, Jesus is coming back for us before. No, he's coming back after. <laughs> for you who are arguing about that, he ain't coming back for you at all. <laughs> we'll be gone. Y'all can figure out how to keep arguing about it. <laughs> but it's... Because we find unity and peace in the new man in the church. What does he say? He, he says... Real quick, this is where we're going to end and the bank could come up. But he says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners or fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay, so the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the cornerstone who, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God. So God took these crazy, wicked pagans and he said these wild olive trees as a wild of olive branches that Paul says in Romans. And he says, God grafted them in and he took them and brought the Jews. He brought the Gentiles. He brought the blacks, the whites, the Hispanics, the Asians. He brought the males and the females. And he said, okay, now we're going to make them one nation, one building, one humanity. We're going to be one in Christ. I, in Christ, listen, when you pray the Lord's prayer, I want you to think about this. When you pray the Lord's prayer, there is no person pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. Read it. It's not my. It's not forgive me. It's us. It's our. We are one. There's no longer you. It's us. He says we, we were builders in the stone. Foundation is the apostles. Jesus is the cornerstone. But Peter says we're the living stones. We are all part of this building. Now imagine, I don't have a wall, a rock wall here, but imagine this. Okay, this wood. There's only one cross, okay? But there's a lot of little boards, and this is who we are. We make up the whole house. Now I want you to look at this wall and say which one's the most important. Okay, now, but now, okay, outside of Jesus, who's doing it better? Who, who's the best? Is it the, oh, the dark? He's the best. 
No, she's the best. I like this position because I'm a little bit bigger. Well, that's just because you didn't go on a diet. But this person... But over here, no, I'm, I hold the window. I hold the glass. I do, I do something special. I'm a special board. Because how foolish is this? We are all living stones in the rock. We are all one. We are all in Christ. We Stop whining. Stop dividing. Stop walking in pride and arrogance. Look around. Look around. What did you do? That was better than they did to deserve the grace of Jesus Christ. Why are you here? What can you boast about that's better than what they can boast about in light of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ? Guys, the, the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of this world that God came in the flesh to create a new humanity that you as a pagan, wicked Gentile, me as a Samaritan, okay? I'm a little bit better. I'm just going to say I had less to go. You guys had farther. I stunk a little less than you did, you know, as far as the rotting, decaying flesh. And he created a new humanity, you as Gentiles, the Jews, the nation of Israel, we are all one in Christ, circumcised of the heart, had nothing to do with us. Amen.